You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. In the last, I'd say, three weeks, I've had three instances where I've been on Athlinks or Ultra Run sign up trying to compare myself or an athlete that I work with to other athletes. And two of the times are because they said, hey, I'm doing this race and look at here's some of the people I'm going against. I looked at the results. This is what I believe I can do. Do it. Does this seem crazy? And then the third time was I was looking at a potential race and then trying to compare what my results in my mind are compared to what some people have done in the past on their athletes. And it spawned an episode, Kirk. I like it. I I think we should probably, I bet you half the people listening don't even know what we're talking about. Athlinks, meaning, because it's something that's like on the back end that you don't really think about. But uh, I like this. We've kind of played a little bit. I think um, we have a Training Tuesday recorded ahead of time, and we have a little fun with it coming up. It's an AMA. And we thought, let's have two sort of fun back-to-back episodes where we uh, we get to jab at each other a little bit. And so when you brought this up, I was like, heck yeah, let's do yeah. it. Let's do it, boy. So the, what we're going to do here is we're going to go back through Athlinks. I have Kirk's results up. He has mine. We're going to pick random races and get the racer's reaction to it for a couple of reasons. The first is to put in perspective that you can't simply in black and white predict how you're going to do in a race based off someone you're about to race, their, uh, their historical performances. As we'll see on this, not every race or result is created equal. And I had an athlete a few weeks ago say, I'm just totally positive I can beat this, this, and this person, but not this person. So I'm going to pace off of this person. And we went out there and it was just not even remotely close according mm-hmm. to the prediction. And it just got me thinking that, A, we need some context for how to approach athletes. And B, it'd be funny or fun to hear your reaction and mine to races from way back in the past. And it will show kind of the way that people who are serious about racing approach their races and uh, the recall that you might have in some of those moments and how it helps you moving forward. Well, I've been scrolling through your athletes results here and I got a lot of questions back and I got a lot of questions. Yeah. What you've been doing, your history goes back to 2001, um, 2001. which I believe mine does as well. I don't know if athletes was spawned then and that's, or it's coincidental, but both of ours go back to 2001. What athletes is folks is athletes is basically a race results database and somehow it's brilliant and it filters them all to you. So it's the back end of race registration. I have everything in there from college, cross country and track meets to Spartan races, to these ultras that I've done on the trails. It is like configures all the results and throws them on there for you. So if you haven't signed up for athletes, you're not familiar, you can go and do that and it will suss out your results, either linked to your email or your name. And so Bracken, you got like 140 results on here since 2001. And I think I have 70 ish. But what it is, it's like, I just was looking through these for me before I looked at you. And I was like, I forgot about that one. I forgot about that one. Wow, have I raced that. It's like a, a digital racing log, which is pretty cool. Susses out your percentage, mm-hmm. uh, your percentile, your placement, your age, your rank. It's like pretty dang cool. And I don't really look at this very often, to be honest. So this is going to jog my memory. But if you don't go play around with Athlinks or you want to remind yourself, go on Athlinks, 
register, sign up, and it will automatically curate your um, races. You have to claim them, it's called. But nonetheless, that's what Athlinks is for anybody who's living under a rock. Most of you are listening to this podcast probably know what it is. Did I, did I accurately describe that? I think so. I Mine's think. missing a lot of races, all of high school track, all of high school cross country. Mine too. I believe all of college track. You somehow have a college race on here. Mm-hmm. I have a number of college races track. on there. I, I probably have cross, oh. but you have tra- you have one track race on here, and I have none. So I don't know how you snuck. It looks like a 1,500-meter race in <laughs> here. It. You ran a, a 359.2 at the Dr. Keeler Invitational, which I believe is North Central College. Uh, that probably sounds right. That's Maple, when I was Illinois, uh, yeah. Keeler Invitational was is North Central. Yeah. I ran there. Did you? Under-inspiring yeah. performance. Still, though, that's a 416 mile. Yeah, roughly. So you snuck some. So I, I, I went back in time one time and thought I've raced somewhere between 250 and 300 times in my life. And so this has 142 of mine. There's some that slip through the cracks, of course, but I'm pretty impressed that Athlinks right. susses out a lot of this. Post-college, it probably has 90 to 95% of the races I've run. Yeah. And, and we don't have, I don't have mine pulled up, so I didn't actually like dissect and I don't think you have yours pulled up. So we get I to do not. I'm not going to look at mine as we go through this. And this is more of like a race war stories. And then I guess whatever comes to mind first, Bracken, when you hear that race, is it? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a, can we catch you? Can we catch you slipping? Can either of us come up with a race that the other person doesn't remember? Okay. Well, you have more, you have more on the list than I do. So I like my odds here. What, what's the first takeaway you get from it? Maybe it's going to be right. your training block. Maybe it's going to be the race. Maybe it's going to be the result. Maybe it's going to be something that happened there. I don't know, a malfunction, a success, just stream of consciousness. Well, I got some some burning questions right off the top for you. Oh boy. Okay. I uh-huh. I <laughs> So the first 3 out of 4 results you have on here are Jingle Bell runs. You really liked your Jingle Bell runs back in the day, Bracken? The Jingle Bell Run 5K in 2001, the Jingle Bell Run Walk for Arthritis 2022, and the Jingle Bell Run Walk for Arthritis 20, or 20, 2002 and 2003. You were Jingle Bell Master. Now, not master. I, if you look no, at the results, no, I was that's not what master. I'm going to say. What was your <laughs> what was your fastest Jingle Bell Run between 2001 and 2003? These are all 5Ks. Tell me what it was. I'm going to say 1922. 1934 was your That's best. That's not bad. And you took 46th, <laughs> and you got beat by one woman. 40, 46. My best. 46. My best result. Every out of season 5K I ran in high school, I got beat by at least one female. Claire Medusa got me with a thousand meters to go going into my senior year, and she was going into her senior year. So these are high school 5Ks. Now is this. Yeah cracker racing all out here or is this cracker okay so this is bracken crocker tell me give me a summation of these three years for you we got 2021 or 2001 to 2003 you ran a 2120 a 1934 and then a 2141 that would have been fresh (laughs) freshman (laughs) the beauty and the progression right here already is just stunning i just love it so i was a 21 minute 5k runner my freshman year in the okay. offseason. Yeah. Uh, this is all because of Chris Gunderson. He and his dad were part of a running family. Everyone in their family, every male in their family ran. The, the females had no 
use for it, but they're all runners and they're all pretty talented. But his dad, he's the one that I said, my earliest memory of his dad is we came back to his van after warming up for one of these 5Ks and his dad was putting out his cigarette and chugging the last bit of his Pepsi. That was his <laughs> warm up. So he lived an extremely unhealthy life, but loved to run. So his dad would do Al's run every year. Big famous race in Wisconsin that no longer exists, unfortunately. And and the, all these Jingle Bell runs, it was every Christmas. And so Chris, we called him Gundy. His last name was Gunderson. Gundy would wrangle us all up and get us to this, this Christmas race. And I, for three years of high school, did not run a step outside of track or cross country. So these are co- stone cold talent right here. Just well, And basketball fitness. That doesn't translate very well. But each one of these years did not stop me from getting out the first 400, 800, maybe 1600 meters as if I had just finished cross country season. I was always top five to 10 at probably the 400 meter mark. I was waiting to see if they had mile marker ranking and placements on here and they do not. I was hoping to see you die a slow, painful death each mile, but it doesn't give me that data. Oh yeah. That, that 21 minute 5k, I probably went through in 530 <laughs> and then went 630, 830, <laughs> something like that. And that 530 would have been near a PR at the time. I got out hot. That one started, I, uh, no, it would have been the, the 1934 one started at Mayfair Mall in the parking lot. And we came down out of the parking lot, down a ramp and out. And I was in the the orange Adidas Neptune XCS, Adidas spikeless cross-country rubber bottom racers running a road 5K. And I felt so fast in those. And by about a mile and a half in, I was just slapping the ground with those cross-country spikes. Just wrecked. I raced in those exact same shoes on the roads with the little rubber knobs for spikes instead of... Yeah, I oh, raced yeah. in those on the roads too. I loved those. Not, not, mine actually would have been the XC. XC. My, those yet, I didn't have the XCS, so they didn't have rubber knobs. I just took the spikes out. So I had holes in that spot. A little lighter. So I'm a size, at the time I was a size 11, and this is my freshman year, and I got two pairs of hand-me-downs. One was in the old school uh, locker room where they have like old sweatshirts, like old gear that somehow, like the school used to buy the kids spikes, but mm. nothing fit me. So I was an 11 at the time. Now I'm a 10 and a half. I don't really understand that. And they had a 10 and they had a 12 and a half. So I took both. And I, the 10s hurt my feet, so so I ran in the 12 and a half. And I talk about flopping around, but I still loved them. I had about two inches of room at the end of the toe. Didn't matter. I ran in those babies. Tell you what, I ran in nine and a halfs, and I was a 10 at the time. I just felt so fast and snug in those. I liked them so much. I ran my indoor season, my senior year, on a rubber smooth rubber basketball surface track and i won our conference indoor mile in those shoes heck yeah you did that's right you Mm. did so that's jingle bell bracken just get out and die get out and die see we all had to learn you guys think we know more than we do the only reason is because we've gone down in flames so many times that those lessons stick right bracken and we will again Bracken Crocker, 13, 14 years old, running 2120, 1934, and 21 and 2141. Now, the wheels and heels rush on Festa. 2003, you're on 1822. That would be your PR there when you were uh That's that's the one that Claire Medusa beat me at. Yeah. So anyway, so you did run 1822 back in 2003. Way to go, man. Then you would have been what, 16, 17? 
17. Sub six minute pace, 554 per mile. And I felt so what, what what stands out from all those races? So I'm going to lump them all together. From 2021 to 2024, all you have on here are 5Ks, and they're either Jingle Bell Runs or this Wheels on Heels. Any Is that everything that stands out about those? They were just all slow deaths, but it wasn't that slow. It tipped and got bad, and I probably had a side stitch in all of them. That that rush on Festa, that's for Festa Italiana, or Festa, yeah, Festa Italiana down at, uh, down at the Summerfest grounds. And oh, yeah. it was hot, and I was in basketball shorts and a cutoff tee because I ran only in basketball shorts back then. And with a mile to go, I was just so uncomfortable in life. Got out too hard. It's too hot. I'm getting chased down by a high school girl, my same age, but just way better than me. And just feeling t- – I hated every one of those races. Hated them. <laughs> I got done saying I'll never run another 5K every single time. It was it's the worst way of racing, out of shape and getting out too hard. Oh, makes it the longest like ten minutes of your life. So bad. Fifteen. Yeah. All right. I'm happy with those. So yeah, that's my intro to to road racing, Kirk. Your best finish was twelfth, and in every single one of them, you did get beat by a woman, I believe. Not that that matters, but it just it, I, I'm seeing that here. Yeah, that's, nice. that's the life I live. Way to go. All right, so I want to start with the very first thing you have on here, which is the WIAC, 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 <laughs> the WIAC Wisconsin Intercollegiate Athletic Conference Men's Cross Country Championships in 2001. You were a full stage ahead of me in schooling. I was a freshman in college in 2001, so that would have been the Conference Cross Country Championships, yeah. Yeah, and uh-huh. you ran 26.50. Oh, I should have had you guess the time. Yeah, we can do that moving forward. But What time did you run? I ran 26.56. That is 5.25 per mile on the cross-country course. Mm-hmm. And you took 54th of 98. <laughs> Very underwhelming, isn't it? I mean, I ran college cross-country, so I know how it goes. Yeah. I know that there are 53 monsters ahead of you. You know, I barely remember that race. I was 54th. I was our 11th runner in cross country i think at we we took second to lacrosse i believe um but i remember i think we came through i came through the 5k in that race because it was on a golf course and i came through i think it was on a golf course and this is an 8k race for the fans which is 4.97 miles call it five i remember coming through the 5k in like 16 48 which doesn't sound crazy, but I remember that, or 43, and that's exactly what I ran at the state cross-country meet the year prior. <laughs> but I came through basically the halfway point at the same time. So I was like, oh, like I came through the 5K as fast as I could run a 5K a year ago in high school. But I was still in the back half of the pack. And I mm-hmm. remember hurting. I, I had this conversation with an athlete me and you are more alike than we think. Like I did not pick up this true endurance stuff. Five months later, I was an all American in the mile after this race. And I was, yet I'm 54th in my conference at the cross country championship. Mm-hmm. I did not pick up real endurance prowess until like later in life. Cause I worked at it. So that race sucked every race. Just like you said, I hung on for dear life from the beginning as the pack slowly faded away. And I took 54th, very underwhelming. 
I don't remember anything other than I had a sprint finish with my own teammate and I beat him. So I was our, maybe our 10th guy and they took 12 to the meet. And so that was a big deal for me. Big deal. 54th. Way to go. Nobody thought nothing of me. I was our seventh recruit in college. I was our seventh best freshman recruit, meaning there were six guys recruited in front of me that had more potential. That's all I remember. And I was our sixth or seventh freshman at that meet. You were living up to your hype. <laughs> I was really coming through just where they thought I would. Yes. You know, I remember I was running 15 to 20 miles a week going into college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I bumped up to like 35 to 45 miles and cross. And that felt like an astronomical bump. And I remember just never really feeling fresh for any meets only I think I got up to 50 miles. And that's that common scenario that a lot of us feel when we jump up and you were doing like way bigger weeks when you went to college. But the yeah. thing that stands out about cross country is I never really came around until the season was done. And I got to like recover and then start training again, my body finally soaked it all up. So like mm-hmm. I was running tired most of the time, very common sentiment. I remember that just never feeling great in those races. Yeah, you could hit some workouts, but you couldn't race. Exactly. It's like you could go 80 or 90%, but you could not go 100. All right, I'm fast-forwarding to 2005 for you. Okay. All right. I believe this is your first collegiate cross-country result on here. We go to 2005. Uh... If you want to talk about uninspiring results, this was an 8K or a 5-mile. I want Would have you been to my guess. Second, then. Okay, well, it's. Do you remember the race? Would this have been in Virginia? Yep, you were in Virginia. We lined up. Duke was next to us, and I think Virginia to the right of us. So two powerhouse ACC schools, and that's a little old Campbell right in between. You have two races that would insinuate down in your Campbell University days that you insinuate because one race is in Virginia, one is in North Carolina. Um. That one in North Carolina looks more like a road race. Anyways, what is this 2005? Unfortunately, (laughs) (laughs) it was the Greensboro Gobbler. No, never mind. That was road. That was road. All right, continue. 2005 (laughs) cross country result in 8K. Guess your time, and I'll say there's 113 participants. I want you to guess your time and your place. Say 27:57. Okay, and there were 113 participants. What do you think you were out of 113? Uh, 102. You ran 2911. 2911? Uh huh. It's such a, this is a mountain course, Kirk. Uh, yeah, I bet you. I'm a classic, <laughs> that mountain cross country course. You're 2911, which is a 552 average, and you were 97th out of 113. Now, I did mean to say 2857, not 2757, but that doesn't change the fact. 552 average. To put in perspective, Coming off of extended injury, surgery, COVID, and not training, I did four miles at 546 pace for a tempo four days ago. Yes. <laughs> and this was college running 60 to 70 miles a week. This is college on a full ride scholarship. <laughs> Three quarters. Uh-huh. My, my, uh, my ACT score pulled me along. Mm. What was your AT- ACT score? Uh, 31. Oh, wow. Well, way to go. Thanks. I did it. You did it. I'm a good test taker. I'm happy with that. 2911, 97th out of 113. You don't belong coaching people with those results, Bracken. I did not belong on that team. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. The, I'm joking. And the coach knew it by the end of that race, and I was uh, I was in the doghouse the rest of my time there. It was such a bad race, Kirk. 
so bad. It was a semi-downhill first mile, like a net loss. And we probably came through, I don't even want to guess what we came through at. But I was trying to run with the pack and I couldn't. Mm-hmm. You should be able to, if you wanted to, go with them. I couldn't. And I just bled out. It felt like every step. It's a slow death. Way to run that. It's just a slow death every time. Oh, it wasn't as hilly as the time would say. It was hilly in that there was no free speed the rest of the course. You had to work. And I couldn't. Oh, it was so bad. So bad. There's nothing fun about literally feeling like death from about mile one, four miles of feeling like death, knowing you're going in over your head just to hang on to the back of the pack. You're one of the last five or 10. You're running all out and you know you're over revving to do it. And you know it's only going to get worse from there, meaning like you're only going to lose contact even when you start faster than you should. We went down to the Notre Dame Invitational my sophomore year. Maybe you'll bring it up. Maybe I'll save that story. But anyways. I just want to say one. My I have two defining memories of this outside of lining up next to Duke. On the warm-up, a big black snake slithered across the course. Big and thick. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. And Oof. to these southern boys, it was normal. And then the second is that as we got, I could see the mile marker approaching. Probably 20 meters ahead of me and they, they have those digital clocks in college cross country that's counting the time and it's like 5051 502 503 and yeah. i turn and look behind me and there's the cart the trail segwagon cart is behind me and i look to my right and it's a teammate and i look to the left it is two people i don't know there's a group of five of us fighting for last place one mile in at 503 maybe fighting for last place now i obviously caught some people but of those probably 10 dropped out mm-hmm. maybe 15 and i think i out kicked seven in the last 200 meters so really i ran the entire race and almost last in the top five last and then some people dropped out and then i kicked the last 200 it was not a pleasant this is the call your parents afterwards before you get on the bus crying and like i don't belong here i want to come home this is actually the guy you want coaching you fellas and ladies. <laughs> the guy who had to work from the being swept up by the golf cart in the back, bumping his butt, telling him to get moving. In the back of a cross-country race, a lot of times there's this golf cart that there's, there's often a lead golf cart that will bring the leaders. Not always, but most of the time. And then there's a caboose golf cart. And you know if you're looking back and you got the caboose <laughs> golf cart right behind you, it's a bad day. So bad. Kirk, I want to go. Oh, first, I'll just say one thing. Sometimes we get comments. You guys need to speak to the every man, every woman sometimes. You're talking about times and it makes us feel bad. This is why we feel comfortable talking about times. Because to us, 5.03 was 30 seconds behind the lead of the race. Yeah. And so everything is relative. And even if the times don't feel relative to you, I spent time as the last person in a race. I'm intimately acquainted with the feeling of the Segwagon nipping at my heels. So I just do want to remind people that even though we are moderately successful at the style of racing we do right now, we spent years doing whatever it is you think is the worst race you can have. 
because there is no worse position than last place other than arguably DNF, which I've done plenty of as well. Mm -hmm. And I was running in last place. So we do understand intimately how bad racing can be. I hope that comes across. It's true. And you want to know, okay, I want to ask you this actually, because I was thinking about this the other day. We have our 20th year, 20th year national championship reunion in November for my cross country team. We were national champions in 2002 in November. It's November 6th. I don't think I'm going to be able to make it because I'll be on vacation, but nonetheless. um, And it got me thinking. I looked at the list of names. I did some creeping, some guys that most of them I've lost touch with. That result where I was 54th out of what, 98 at my WEAC Invitational in 2001, I'd bet on myself to win that race right now. If we took all the same guys and we took everybody and we made us run a five-mile cross-country course, I like my odds compared to every single person in that field, knowing what they have done since, how they've taken care of themselves, where their running has progressed or digressed, how life has or has not gotten in the way. And your early results are not indicative of your actual Mm -hmm. potential. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm saying that in perspective, like, hey, you're taking dead last in your DFL, we call it, in your local 5K or in your Spartan race. Well, there's hope because guess who else was DFL Bracken? <laughs> Me, top 50%. Yeah. Like, and now I really believe fast forward 20 years and I believe I could beat all my teammates. And uh, if we all lined up today and all the guys I competed against, at least podium. Anyways, it's just interesting perspective as I was thinking about that with our 20 year national championship reunion. I was like, I kind of want to go and like race these guys to show them like, all right, I, I'm one of the few who's still stuck around. And you are too. Do they still do? Do they do alumni races? We have them at in the, on the track. We do, yeah. Um, we have cross as well. We, we have one cross races as a home invitational. Yep. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, it's just good perspective to hear. It's like, it's like just keep showing up. If you're the guy or girl who just yeah. keeps showing up, just keep showing up, just keep walking into the wall, walking into the wall, walking into the wall. Eventually, like you happen to get lucky and stumble onto a door, you walk through it. Mm-hmm. That's what we just did enough. We just walked into enough walls. Anyways, that's a dump. That's a beside the point point, but you get where I'm getting at. It's an important point. So what was I just remind me of my place in that race? I think you were 97th out of 113 and you ran 29, 12 or something. Let me look it up. Wow. I, have to, I pulled it up. It's uh, you ran 29, 11 and you were 97th out of 113. So I'm going to go to your last college race. That's listed on here. We're jumping ahead. All right. Dr. Keeler invitational, a 359.2, 1500 meter run which is a 416 mile. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that race. At North Central College, outdoor, May 14th, 2004, closing in on your birthday. Extremely disappointed. This is a last chance meet? It was a last chance meet. Now, this brings up some weird feelings for me, this race. I'll never forget that race. Um, this is when I was getting very ill in college. And... Mm. I had lived in a house with black mold in it, and I had run 354 previously, and I I opened that season in 403, then I did a 401. I didn't even make my fast heat at the conference 1500 meters. I was coming off of being an All-American, and I didn't even make the fast heat in the 1500 at conference. Ran four flat there. And I was having bad breathing issues, bad, just hanging on. And everybody, no, I didn't know what was going on. Teammates didn't know. What was going on. Coach certainly is like, what's going on with Kirk? I was running my ass off, man. So I ran 359 there in a last chance meet. And I was, uh, I was a dead man walking heading to that start line. I already knew 
I knew that I wasn't going to qualify. I knew something was wrong. So anyway, so that brings back a weird feeling for me because that was in the time of my life where I was heading the wrong direction. Um, and so 359, that was a very big disappointment. It was the last race of the season. And all I can remember thinking is I'm so glad I don't have to do this again anytime soon, to be honest with you. So that, uh, that's depressing. That's a depressing feeling. Um, I moved into that house in September and progressively got worse. And that was a May race. And my performances slowly degraded all the way from then until then. So, um, and then I don't think I really competed again. That might've been, that was my last track meet, uh, that right there, 359. And three years earlier, I had run 354 and was an All-American. Yeah. Well, that was the location of my final track meet that I competed in. I traveled to nationals as an alternate on the relay and didn't get to run after that. But that was also where I left my college track meet behind. I PR'd. I did not. But what place did you take with a 359, 1500-meter run, which is 416-mile pace? Overall, overall of everyone who ran the 1500 that day? Probably like 12th. 22nd. Poof. But again, when we talk we talk about where we've been in life, 416 miles sounds very fast, and Kirk took uh, a spot behind 21 other athletes that day. 22nd. That was a rough year, man. I I remember the, the last good race I had at that good race, in quotes, is I was trying to qualify for nationals the year after being an All-American. I was trying to qualify outdoors, which is harder for me for some reason. And I ran 355-0 um, after I'd run 354 indoors previously, so I should have been faster. But the qualifying standard was 353 and I came through with 200 meters to go on 350 pace, and I ran 355. My last 200 meters, I believe, was 39 seconds, which means nothing to most of our listeners. I was in I was I set myself up to go to nationals, and I fell about 130 meters short. It was the most pathetic. Watch Steve Prefontaine's last 10 meters of the Olympic 5,000 meter final. That's what I looked like for 100 meters. But that's the other memory I have of that location in the last chance meet, which was a positive one. I set myself up. I failed. I felt good. I went out and did what I needed to do. But yeah, that was my last collegiate track race right there. Well, that's going from 4.07 pace for a mile to 5.16 pace in 200 meters. That's not ideal. (laughs) No regrets. All right. Let's move to you here. So... I see a transition from your time at Campbell University, and all of a sudden you're back in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. uh, running some familiar races, the Roy Griak Invitational. Oh, this was bad, Kirk. On so many levels, bad. All right. I want you to guess. We're going to do a couple of guesses here, and we could drag this on too long, so I want to make sure. Okay. Your opening 800 meters. They have splits? No. I'm not. Okay. I'm divergent. So you transferred to Whitewater. You're opening 800 meters. Your first 800 meter result I have on file for you was what? First one ever. This is the Whitewater Classic 2008. So you would have been a sophomore. Maybe 58, 68, 158, 68. One, good, 158.01. You opened with a 158 oh, half mile. Now my, co- my high school PR was 201, and I ran the same thing at Campbell. So this was an astronomical leap forward which was spurred by nine months of training for baseball 
and then a three-month crash course in track. I bulked up and got fast. One week later, how fast did you run that exact same event at the Badger Open Track and Field Meet? Say probably 157. 156.37. You okay. took almost two full seconds off, which is an insane amount of time in one week. And in those races, you were seventh out of 37 and fifth out of 26. Collegiate running is cutthroat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I did run 156 because that got me into conference. Mm. All right. And I, in the same phase here, the following cross-country season, 2009, you go to— uh... That's not the following season. That skips forward three years to the next time I ran cross-country. I stayed away from it for three and a half years. Right, but you ran track in the spring. Of, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, so you go to the Roy Griak Invitational, which yep. is uh, here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's on a hilly uh, golf course. All right, we're still in our humble beginning phase here, Bracken, at least in oh the endurance goodness. realm. The Roy Griak, and do, do I have a Roy Griak Invitational result on mine? We should compare. No, yours doesn't show. It doesn't? All right, Roy Griak, it's another five mile or an 8K. Guess you're, there were 357 athletes. So out of 357, where do you think you placed? And guess your time. This is Bracken now. Two years. No, this is three years. Three years into college. I do not know where I placed. Out of 357 people, what place do you think you took? I'm going to say 280. If you ran 2909. 2909? And you were 194th out of 357. Kirk, this went bad from the jump. <laughs> I was running my first full year of college cross country since my fre- my first my just my first year of college cross country since my freshman year. So it's three years later. I'm running college cross country. I am struggling at every workout, and I just keep getting side stitches. And I read a probably my first trail running article, and there's this guy who said he breaks a little stick or a pencil and ran with it in his fingers as a reminder to keep his hands and arms relaxed when he ran. And I was desperate. Like I'm fast. I was already all conference and track and I suck at cross country. So right before the start line, I go over and my, I remember my brother standing there with his team and there's a group of him and a group of girls. And I run over and I strip off my, my warmups and I have on under armor compression shorts on most guys run split shorts and cross and i Mm -hmm. didn't have anything underneath and they were way too see-through so i have a bad look going and i pick up a pencil snap it in half and run off to the start line (laughs) (laughs) and everyone had to have looked at me like what is this guy gonna we're gonna see something spectacular either way and it was just spectacularly bad what so how do you hold the pencil just like between your fingers you're between your your forefinger and your thumb and that helps keep you relaxed? Keeps from clenching. I, I'm not saying it worked. I'm not saying it has merit. I'm saying that I was desperate to try to not have my stomach cramp in the middle of the race. And I tried to go out relaxed and build into it. And we came through at, I want to say, 526 or something through the mile. So, so for cross country in college, very slow. And I'm already in the back, and I couldn't go a step faster. It was just a really demoralizing race. Those little dumb things we do. Lisa was there watching. We were freshly dating. (sighs) What pace is that? 551. 551? Yep. Oh, that's so bad. This is my fifth year of college. 
running 2909. I'm a 153, 54 half miler. I'm a 417 miler at this point. I've developed strength and speed. 551. Um, I got so many questions for you as I look through this stuff all of a sudden. It was, it was bad. Zach Wilhelmy won that day, and he won by like 20 seconds. Oh, on this course, I believe Cody Moat ran 24.40. Yeah, Cody Moat would race hard. So Cody Moat ran five minutes faster than you, four and a half minutes faster than you on this course. Yeah, a, a minute per mile. And you beaten And you beat Cody Moat four years later, five years later, or it came close to. I don't know if I beat Cody ever. Yeah, well, you were right on him and maybe even leading him at one race, Washougal, I believe. So anyways. Yeah. God, humble beginnings. It's just reminding me, like, we think we're so cool. We're so badass. And we're so, you know, we're pros here. But, like, looking back, it's just, it was always humble pie, man. It was, I mean, we had our victories along there. And they're not all here. And we're not talking about the highlights. For some reason, the bad stuff jumps out at us. But um, they're important just, to know. It just, I just forget about all these, man. It's not just humble beginnings. This is my entire college career in cross country. <laughs> well, yeah. Four beginning. years later, I went from what? 29.15 to 29.09 in my two debuts. And then, and then four years later, you were a pro athlete being sponsored to travel around the country race. Wild. It really is. All right. So speaking of slow beginnings. Oh boy. Or slow progression. The very first race you ran post-collegiately was the Bellin Run. Bellin Health is famous up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. It's very, mm-hmm. very big. It's got a giant logo on Lambeau Field or at the at the stadium. Uh, it's very big. It's a big run. I think up to 20,000 race that. It's a huge. They have the Africans come in. There'll mm-hmm. be a few paid athletes. And so you get you get a field of fifteen to 20,000 for this race. It's a big. It's, it's a as big as a mid. It's a 10K, yeah. 10 kilometers, 6.2 miles. Your first one, what'd you run? 34.28. 34.28 on the head. Did I really? Yep. That is 5.32 pace. And I know what I ran the next one too. Now, fast forward three years, what did you run? 34.07. 34.07, so 5.29 yep. pace. So in three years of life, you got three seconds per mile faster. Now, again, this is this is turning into an episode of us telling people that work with us, don't worry, we're not going to get you faster any quicker. But <laughs> in three years, you basically got one second per mile quicker per year. That is not a result that would speak to this kid should keep training. Those are my lost years there. Holding 530 per mile for six miles is great. You were 27th both years. Was I 27th both years? 27th place. 27th of 5,403 and 27th of 8,711. So your percentage improved. Yeah. Well, those were my non-training years. Those were my uh, sick years and then getting back to running. So when I remember running 3,407, I was pumped up because that's a 530 on the head average, I bet. 530 on the nuts, right? 529. And I remember thinking like best case scenario, I go and do that. And I did. And so for me at that time, and that I'd put on like 20 pounds of muscle, I started weightlifting and I was, I remember that was a really good day for me. That 34, 28, um, was off of like that. I'm like skeleton of myself. That was still collegiate cross country, but not feeling good. That was only, that was only a month after that, uh, track meet where I ran 359 and, and didn't oh. qualify. If you look at the timeline, I remember that very vividly. 
Well, then I, I have a follow-up question. Two years later, you ran Bellin again. Uh-huh. What happened? 36 something around my sister around my sister for okay, the first okay. two miles and then i said i'm sorry i have to go now i have to go now it was i thought i could stay with my sister and just run it for fun and i could not i didn't i wore basketball shorts i tried to do it and i couldn't and so i was a dick i left her but the night before that 34 28 in 2005 i spent the entire night in the er getting testing done and the Bellin run was the next day because I was really sick at that time. And I came home at three in the morning, fell asleep on the couch, woke up and said, I don't know. Like I would like the Bellin was a big deal. And I went and ran that actually after like not a very good. So like that race was like, uh, I remember it was so representative of like, I'm sick, but look what I can still do. And so even though it wasn't a fast result, considering I was coming from college, every time I'd go out and run, I'd be like, you're fine. Like, look, if your body wouldn't be able to do this if you weren't sick. And so I remember that standing out being like a big win for me after like that period of time. But then fast forward to the other results and I was starting to feel a little better and I was training more. Um, And I only got, what, 20 some seconds faster. Yeah, three seconds per mile. And what's funny about that is I've run that split mid-workout in the last two weeks in like the middle of like 16 miles of work. It's bizarre. It's so bizarre. Okay. Bell, have you ever run the Bell and Run? No, I never have. Jared the Subway guy was there at the front. Jared the Subway guy did a big thing and waved to the audience. And I was in the second row thinking I was hot stuff. And I just remember Jared the Subway guy and Frank Shorter were at the start line. Both of them introduced. Frank Shorter was an Olympic gold medalist in the 72 or 76 Olympics for the U.S., and Jared, Jared, the subway guy is a uh, child molester. And so they're very different, very different aspects in hindsight. But anyways, I remember thinking Jared, the subway guy's here. That's this is legit at the time. He would have a very different reception if he was paraded in front of a, a 8,000 person race these days. Well, that was probably 8,000 men, right? Oh, I don't know. Probably though. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. Either way, not his demographic. I just remember Jared, the subway guy. And I remember my time. So there it is. Before we move on to me, you have one sandwiched in between there that I'm very curious to hear about. Door County Triathlon. Uh-huh. Now, this looks like an Olympic distance triathlon because do you remember your time? This this is Two, a bit of an unfair question. 203.17. Thank you for being off. 227.05. Ninth uh-huh. out of 206. Mm-hmm. This is a long triathlon. I was still trying to do the fitness thing. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking. I got myself a bike. I was training for this triathlon. I got accepted into the pro wave. So that's on the pro wave, by the way, that's the elite wave. This is a big triathlon. Yeah. Um, I started, we had a, we had a 30 minute to hour delay because of the winds coming in. This is on the Bay of green Bay. This is in Lake Michigan. And the waves were so big, they couldn't set us off because we couldn't see the buoys. We get to the start line, standing in the water. I am the only person without a wetsuit. I am one of 200, no wetsuit. We take off. I'm freezing. We take off. I get kicked in the goggles. They fly off. I just stand right up, reset them. I'm in dead last. I almost drown. I consider flagging the lifeboat. I couldn't see anything. I drank a gallon of Lake Michigan water. 
I get out of the swim, 209 in the pro or elite wave. There was one guy left in transition about to leave, and the bike rack was completely empty. I was all alone. Didn't struggle to find your bike. (laughs) My bike was right there, and it was bright orange, too. I could have found it anyways. I get out, and they beat me so bad in the swim that 207 people were out of transition and already biking, and one person was left still in transition. I was so embarrassed. I, I came out. And I got to work and I had the fastest run in the field and maybe a top 10 or 15 bike. And I ended up going from basically 209th all the way up to ninth. Wow. That was that race for me. And what pisses me off is a guy I trained with in the pool that summer was somewhere mid pack in the swim and I was beating him in the pool, but he had a wetsuit and he didn't have a panic attack out there like I did. And he ended up third. You think you could be a triathlete? Absolutely. And my swimming's come such a long ways. Yeah, I do. Um, You're a strong biker. Yeah. So anyways, that was it. It was a very humble. Coming into that rack, there was media, there was cameras. I had family there. was one of the more embarrassing moments of my life. But then I got to pick people off and that momentum fueled me. It was just one after the other after the other. Um, Draft legal too. So you didn't have to worry about time and moves. You could just chug down the line. Yep. That was the last triathlon I did. The first and only. Nice. Never came back. At some point, you and I should train for one and do one. That'd be fun. I would like some redemption there. Um, I am going to jump for you, Bracken. I am so confused. And also, we got to talk. What did you do on May 7th, 2011? May 7th, 2011? What would that have been? Was that a dirty girl? (laughs) I hope you did a dirty girl. What was it? This tells me you ran the Lake Geneva Marathon in two thirty two fifteen, which would be like five fifty pace. But it says your average pace was six fifty five, which means what is this? Yeah, I ran the Lakeshore Path. They called it the Euro Marathon. I had to look up what a Euro Marathon was. So for years, actually, it, this is this is interesting because of that result. The first few years of OCR, I had some false respect given to me as an ultra specialist because people saw that on my athletes that I was a 232 marathoner and then saw that I took third in the beast and ultra beast in the 2012 Spartan World Championships. And they thought I was a long distance specialist. Like, yeah, he's a 232 marathoner. And someone even said it in one of their interviews, like, oh, well, Bracken's like a 230 marathoner. And I had to like, quick stop the story. Like, no, 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 uh, this is a 21 mile trail race. <laughs> Not, they called it a Euro marathon. And I have no idea why. Well, it's labeled as a marathon. So just letting you know that is on there. I have a 232 PR, <laughs> which incidentally, I think is about my ceiling. If I train for like five years for the marathon, it'd be somewhere around there. Let's just call that your PR then. You don't even have to do it. So I think we can just count it. All right. And okay, so that clears that up. So I think technically the first trail race of my life. Well, not shortly after that was your second and we'll get to that. But in between that, you ran yourself a triathlon in 2011. Yes, I did. All right. I don't know what the distance was. This is the Camp Whitcomb Mason Triathlon. Oh, Camp Whitcomb Mason. Is this your first triathlon? Yeah, this is a super sprint. Out of 162, where did you finish? Oh, I like their ninth, I think. Oh, please. Sixth. 26th. Really? Yeah. Huh. 
26th. Um, I know I won my age group. <clears throat> second of five. Suck. <laughs> Suck it. Second of five. That was a girl. That was a girl. She didn't count. Yeah, there were two women that beat you in that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This was a bad day. Okay. But a fantastically bad day. This was a comedy of errors, Kirk. Okay. Much like your triathlon. Yeah. Well, mine was until it wasn't. Lisa worked with a guy. They were He was a first-year teacher, and he was into cycling and triathlon. And he's a nice guy, but he came off as really cocky up front. And they, he'd always be like, we should run. What would you run your last run on? And she'd be like, I was like 7.30 pace. He was like, I was 7.11. And so he's like, I'm doing this triathlon. You should do it. She's like, I will never do a triathlon. And then she came home and she told me, Bracken, you need to sign up for this and you need to go defend my honor. You need to go beat him. Uh-huh. And his name's Aaron. He's a, he's a delightful guy. I was at his wedding. We like Aaron. However, I went there with one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to smash this guy. Because I knew he, he was about the level of runner that Lisa was. So I figured that would also mean I'm a faster biker than him. And who cares how, long, how fast he is at swimming. It was like a 700-meter swim. It's not going to matter. Maybe 800-meter swim. just won't matter. So I went down to the beach uh, two days before the, the race, and I swam. I did like 10 by 100 in the lake to get ready for the swim. Uh-huh. That was the extent of my triathlon training. Uh-huh. I borrowed her brother's road bike. I uh, don't even know if it was anything other than a Walmart road bike, like mm-hmm. some Schwinn. And when I put the wheel back on to start, first I had to have someone, someone there. I said, Hey, could you take a look at me on this bike and tell me how much to raise or lower my seat? Mm -hmm. I didn't didn't know. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, that looks about good there. And I put the wheel on, did the quick release, put it on. And uh, I put the sensor on the wrong side. So the odometer didn't read. Oh yeah. Speedometer wasn't working. And I had a plan to try to sit at a mile per hour. And so I came out of the swim, same as you second or third last bikes are out it was me a guy who was sitting there talking to his friends and family while he slowly took his wetsuit off and put on mm-hmm. his shoes and one woman who i just hauled past into the rocks of course and i got out i nailed my flying mount got to work and immediately realized that a the odometer and the speedometer does not work and b half the gears are missing on this bike so I just got into a big gear. I stood up and I cranked. You know, I think it was a 22-mile bike for this. And I cranked for four out of the saddle almost the entire time. It was very hilly. This is Kettle Moraine. Oh, yeah. And then fell apart the final four of the bike. Stumbled into transition. I coasted down the last hill to save my legs. Hopped off the bike on this flying dismount. And both legs buckled like jello. And I looked at Lisa and I said, there's something wrong with my legs. And I got out and I ran the most painful 5K to date in my life. I had a rainbow of cramps that started at my left hip flexor, went all the way up around my gut, down the other side to my right hip flexor. And I was tearing up the last 800 meters. It was so bad, Kirk. A rainbow of cramps is a nice visual. I'd like somebody to put that on paper. So what was my finishing time? Your finishing time, well, you tell me. I have no clue. 148. It's nice to look at. 140 40. 140 40. 140 40. Not a drop of water was consumed that day. Two months to the date later, what happened? Was that Spartan Championships? You ran your very first Spartan race in Chicago. Yeah. 
You ran the Chicago Spartan Sprint. That was your first Spartan race. You took first OCR race. Your first OCR race. So now we're getting to the good stuff. 2011 Bracken. You are God. You've been doing this a long time in Marseille, Illinois. You ran the Chicago Spartan Sprint in 44. You would think it's Marseille, but the Illinoisans pronounce it Marseilles. Okay, Marseilles. Marseilles. So, Marseilles. <laughs> and you yep. took second out of 3,143. This is the best result I have seen pop up percentage-wise. Tell us about that race, Bracken. Welcome to OCR. I was there. I, I was there kind of on accident. I've told this story before about the guy who was uh, the co-best man in my wedding, my college roommate or teammate. Uh, he was an All-American in the 800 nation, uh, conference champ and national runner-up, I believe. Uh, he got hit by a car when I had guilted him into going for a run. Drunk driver, ran a red light, hit him, broke his leg, tore his ACL, knocked him out, uh, a lot of stitches, just pretty catastrophic injury. And to make himself do his rehab, he signed up for a Spartan race. I had never heard of it. He said, you got to do it with me. I said, yeah, sure. I knew he wouldn't do it. Well, it turned out two weeks before he still planned on doing it despite not being in great shape or even good shape. And so I had to go on and sign up. And uh, I think I got a Groupon back then. It was like $59 for a race. And the only waves left that weren't sold out was the first wave and the last wave. And I wasn't about to be waiting around there all day. So I signed up for the first wave. After the fact, I realized that is the competitive wave. And showed up to the start line. Bunch of soccer-looking players. Bunch of CrossFit-y guys a uh, couple runner looking guys and me and i figured this was going to be easy was it called a competitive wave then or was it called elite i don't remember i don't mm-hmm. remember what it was called maybe they called it the first wave i think it was elite is this where you failed over under and through fail it i creatively completed the over under through i went over 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 <laughs> naturally <laughs> well i had run i'd run a steeplechase that year we got up to the over i went over then they started getting down for the next one, and I assumed they thought, "Wow, that was a little too high. I think I'll just duck under this one." I'm like, look at these nerds! I heard all that one. Idiots! Volunteers started yelling at me, and you negotiated. Negotiated ten burpees and a retry. <laughs> Those were the days, Kirk. A negotiation on a failed obstacle. I said, "I, I can do it. Let me do it." I said, "I got to give you burpees." I didn't know what a burpee was. So I did 10 burpees, redid it, and then was in last place running into the because that was probably a quarter mile into the race, and then just ran terrified and exhilarated the rest of the race can you imagine somebody doing that today the uproar an elite athlete somehow no. navigates 10 burpees in a retry and it's on video like <laughs> what would happen then oh my god you would be out you would just be late you'd be outlawed people would hate you it'd be amazing i also started with a cutoff t-shirt on and after doing a swim a dunk wall a pond in a muddy barbed wire, it got snagged a little bit. I just ripped it off and left it. I threw it over a fence and kept running. That'd be a, so that DQ. Would be a DQ yeah, these yeah. days too. That's yeah. so funny. Yeah. I was the bad boy of OCR, Kirk. You really were. <laughs> Who'd you lose to that day? Uh, this this guy named Hoey Call. Did you have hair back then? I had a, a very close cropped buzz cut. We should get a picture from that race. I'd love to see it. That should be our episode cover. So... Okay, wait. Well, I already did two for you, I guess, so. I failed the spear. Failed the spear, okay. Almost fell off the monkey bars, rolled my ankle, had to run with my arms at my sides for a bit because they were so tired from the barbed wire crawl. So my question for you here is then a month later, you go and do the old turkey trot. 
which is a six miler or a 10 K yeah. and you're on six Oh four pace. Yeah. Is that what it took to be second place is a six Oh four, a 37, 47, 10 K or to take second place then, or is that 10 K result an outlier? Like that was just for funsies. I think third that day it was Elliot McGuire and he could probably run five forty five pace for a 10 K at that time. 10, uh, a six flat 10 K pace would have got you the top five at most races back then. But this was snow and ice. That was a this oh, is okay. a ten k in uh, November. Yeah, uh, in Wisconsin, and uh, it snowed and iced. And I, I, it was it was it was a nasty. It was like forty mile per hour wind kind of thing. It was the time wasn't. It was like yeah, five k you ran. All right, it's just time was around. Now a six minute mile ten k won't win an age group, most likely. No, I was probably five thirty five thirty five. I was coming off of decent fitness i okay. wasn't running a lot at the time but i wasn't that far removed off college okay just curious about that but no i mean six flat would have got you near most podiums at the time mm. not today folks not even close yeah and that was false bravado that race because that was the closest anyone had finished to hobie that year and i was all fired up i qualified for worlds in texas two months later it's not on the athletics i because uh, i dnf'd oh <laughs> that would make sense <laughs> Uh, no, not DNF. I was DQ'd for failing the Tyrolean Traverse three times. There was a three and out obstacle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it turned out Hobie was on course taking pictures with people, and that's why our finishing time was very close. <laughs> he spent like 10 minutes in the finishing shoot before he crossed the line. So it was uh, it was false bravado there. What a guy. I, I'm, I'm curious just by the name of this next thing, Kirk. This is the – you went on a win streak here. So you started to get your fitness back. You ran a 16-18 5K for the win. At the Dan Patch 5K, you won the Independence Day 5K in 1611, but then you won the Muscle Milk Woodsy. <laughs> yes. I don't know what those words mean together <laughs> in conjunction, but I know Woodsy, I know Ryan Woods, and I know Muscle Milk. Muscle Milk Full Woodsy, actually, uh, is what it was. They had a half was, Woodsy and a full It doesn't say woodsy. Full Woodsy. So this is the Muscle Milk Full Woodsy. You were first place. So this is probably circa day 2011? September 15th, 2012. 2012. So this is now post-bachelor days, actually. So I had a whole abyss of stuff there where I didn't really race much. You don't see much from me for years, right? Is that accurate? You went from 2010, 2011, 2012. No. You had one event in 2011. It was a Warrior Dash Minnesota, which I do want to get to. Okay. But I I was very curious about this uh, this Muscle Milk Woods a year later. And I I won it, right? You won it first place out of 191 athletes. You your your previous three races, first of 223, first of 165, first of 191. Yeah, you're starting to roll a little bit. I here. started running four four days a week. I, I took years where I didn't train. I started running four days a week, one interval session a week, and a 10 or 12 mile long run on the weekends where I usually just grinded. It was a progression. You're also right. You went from 28 2008 to 2010 with no races. Yeah, there was a few years. You didn't in race there. in 2009. Yep. Where I was just running three miles here and there. Anyways, yes. Then I started to think I wanted to compete again, but I was going four days a week running. I was doing a 10 to 12 mile long run, eight to 12, I should say. And one quality session a week. I was like running quarter mile repeats, half mile repeats, just very traditional stuff on the roads. And they got me down to what? 16 lows in the five Ks. 16, 11. And then the muscle milk full woodsy was a 15 K a nine point something in on the hilliest thing i had ever seen up to that point we maybe had 
What's the town this took place in? Chaska? Savage, Minnesota. Savage, right down there. Yeah, Savage. Savage. Anyways, went out with my road flats, and I line up, and there's a bunch of skinny guys that look like runners. And he goes, one guy's already making his race excuse. Yeah, I've been running 100 mile weeks. So I'm training for fall marathon in chicago or something i'm real tired but i've been running hundreds and next guy to me says the same thing i'm like oh god i'm over my head well we ran in a pack all the way to mile seven six and i stayed with him and i said i think i can beat these guys and i surged harder than i've surged in a race up to that point in date and i gapped him by 30 seconds in a mile and then I hung on for dear life the last two miles, and I broke them. I broke those idiots. Ooh, I and I won that. by 30 seconds. I felt good. I had a good day. I ran in the Adidas Cubato I had left from 2002 in college. It was like a five-ounce lightweight road racer. I slipped going up the uphills and the wood chips and all that. It was a fall race. But I was like, hey, like something's working. Like I just had been not letting go of my fitness for years I, I never let it go i never didn't work out i just wasn't training with purpose and suddenly my needle i was like maybe i could be good at something longer because i beat some good athletes i mean this guy was like a 240 marathoner 240 who's shooting to run something like that and i cooked him anyways that was a big day for me you know what i got i got a year supply of unlimited muscle milk so i got a case of muscle milk sent to me every month oh i got um then I got offered, this is going to sound wild. I'm going to, I'll wait to get to that. It ended up getting me a Cliff Builders Bar sponsorship in which I was offered to go to the Spartan Race World Championships and run on the Cliff Builders Bar team in 2015 in Tahoe. And I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even, I was like, no. I got offered paid to go do this, thinking that's stupid. So I did. I said no. Yeah. Anyways, that led to that. But nonetheless, that was the beginning of me starting to come back around in life, health, and running. So that was a very that. Now we're starting to get somewhere, Bracken. Yes, we are. So that's what that was. And I ran. Interesting. And I ran the Warrior Dash uh, a couple of years earlier, right? A year earlier. That was my first OCR, and I got smoked. What I take there? What do you think you took? Eight thousand eight hundred seventy-seven competitors. Competitors in quotes. Fifth. Sixth. Sixth. That was at Afton Ski Hill. Never run up a ski hill. You've been there. Oh, yeah. Uh, went out with the lead, had about a minute gap after a, like a mile and a half, and then basically crawled up the last two climbs and got passed by the world. It was very embarrassing. That was it. Interesting. Yep. Okay. Everyone's got to have their first one. Yep. Well, you said this is the beginning of something for you at that section. So the race that doesn't show on there was my Spartan World Championship in 2011 down in Texas, mm -hmm. the one that I was DQ'd from. But that was the beginning of something for me. Okay. That that was that kicked off everything that happened after that point began there. It didn't begin earlier because I got in a real race down there. And I saw what OCR was and trail racing and what off-road racing was and also race nerves. I couldn't eat before the race. Every time I went to put a bite in my mouth of my pre-race meal, I started to dry heaving gag. I was I had never felt nerves uh, since I was like 13 of that level. Mm. I couldn't eat prior. It was just everything about it was just a very visceral experience. And I got home and I got to work. After that championship. I put in work prior, but I thought I was going to win it. 
because I'd finished like a minute behind Hobie in my first one, not knowing what he was doing. Uh-huh. And I thought I have eight weeks to make up a minute and I missed my spear and he didn't. I'm going to win. And I didn't finish the race. Okay. Well, fast forward one year, less than a year, fast forward yeah. nine months. And on here is the Vermont Spartan Ultra Beast and the Vermont Spartan Championship. September 22nd, 2012, Bracken Crocker lands himself on the Spartan Race World Podium and takes third place in both. Mm-hmm. He ran 259.44 in the, uh, in the Beast and 7 hours, 38 minutes, and 48 seconds in the Ultra. So you ran an hour and 39 minutes slower on your second lap than your first lap. Um which that's what happens when you don't have fuel. Right. Well, right. That's <laughs> I'm not even worried about that. We all know that story. But uh, but yeah. what happened between a DNF in Dallas and nine months later you're on a Spartan Race World Championship podium? Talk about those nine months. Well, I was doing that post college running aimless floating around thing. I was coaching, I was teaching full-time, we had just got married, we went on our honeymoon, we were just floating around. I'd run a time or two per week, I'd lift a time or two, I'd play basketball a time or two, and that was the fitness I got into my first race in. And then for the second one, I put in an eight or ten week block to get there and thought I was nasty and found out that I was nasty for 30 minutes. (laughs) And, and there's a bigger world than a 30 minute race up until that point. Mm-hmm. That was the, that was the second longest race I'd ever run in my life. And that was an eight and a half mile race, maybe a 10 and a half mile race, second longest race I'd ever done. So I decided, and there was money there. There was 10 grand for first place that year, which was mm-hmm. more money than I'd ever seen as a runner. And they were already talking that next year was going to be bigger. And I decided I, I can't go out like that. And I was embarrassed. And that's always been the best motivator for me. Is failure and embarrassment. Yeah. I DNF'd or DQ'd. I failed out three times on an obstacle in front of a crowd of people and my wife. And didn't you walk off course kind of like a butthole? No, I don't think so. Oh. What race was that where you failed before the finish line and you walked off course or you something? You had a bad OCR World Championships. Uh, okay, that where you kind of had a pity party for yourself and kind of just didn't even cross the line. You were like, screw this. Yeah. Okay. Not to bring that up. Sorry. Let's not take away from how awesome this was. I remember one championship. That one I chose to leave. Okay. Yeah. This one I was, they came and cut my band off on my timing chip because I failed three times. Mm. They're very apologetic about it, but uh, it was bad. So I was motivated. I lifted and I had had my knee issues. Uh, I think I, I never got it diagnosed, but I think I tore, partially tore my PCL at that time playing basketball and I couldn't run much after that. And so I rehabbed over the winter, just self-rehab, started jogging, started running, started lifting, started doing functional work for the first time ever. And then I put together a 26-week training plan, and I hit every single workout. Every second of every workout I had scripted. I scripted out just progressive long runs. I'd never run anything close to what this was going to be, and I'd never run on a mountain before. I'd never, since Switzerland when I was six, I'd never seen a mountain. So I had no basis for this, and it was going to be on on the slopes of uh, Killington. So I just found the local ski hills, and I built up volume for me, and I built up compromised running, and I designed hill workouts. And some of my best workouts still, Bigfoot, Mount Majestic, Glen Rose came from this this 26-week 20 20, stretch. OCR 400s originated here. Originally, it was uh, 24 by 400 uh, at Beast Pace. And I just... 
built. Here's what I don't understand is between Chicago, your first race, then you went to Dallas and DNF'd. All I see is one Spartan race, the Indiana race between. Yeah. So you didn't race that much. You raced, you raced after your DNF the year before you raced one Spartan race and then went to the world champs. Yeah. I did that to, to get my qualifier and I wanted to race Hobie there. He'd already said he was going to be at that one. And I wanted to, I wanted another shot at him. I wanted to see where I was at. I wanted to feel him in a race and then script my training. Well, was he there? Cause you won. He showed up and didn't race. He, he was the start line MC and that was it. I basically was mad the whole race left and that day scripted out my plan towards Killington. Like, forget it. And then I stayed off the radar. I didn't want anyone to think about me. I didn't want anyone to know about me. I ran two tough mutters. I ran I ran every OCR I could find that was not Spartan race. And so I, I worked on my craft in the darkness. This sounds like the first time in your life you went what we call monk mode, where you went and you just trained and you put together a block and you come out and take third at the world champs. Yeah, I went all in. And I got in really good fitness. I'd never put a block of training in my life this long. And I'd started doing strength work, like functional strength for the first time. After after the one tough mutter I did, one of them was that weight vest one. But the first one I did was like a 11 and a half mile, just bushwhacky course. I got down, w- finished, walked down. They were having a pull-up contest and I did 42 pull-ups. Wow. Now they weren't strict. But still, like three-quarter pull-ups, I did 42 of them after an 11-and-a-half-mile race, which for me, that was a PR, and I was feeling good, and I think I won a razor blade. It's pretty awesome, like with a five-cartridge pack. Wow. It's like 16 bucks. But it, I, was, I was just in good overall shape, and I, because I was in monk mode and I did almost every workout alone, I got in a different place mentally too. I built up an aerobic base for the first time probably in my life because all college was was anaerobic for me. Mm-hmm. I was fast and I couldn't run cross country, as you could see. It was just, it changed. It changed everything about my fitness and my mindset of what I was willing to do and places to take yourself in a race. So it was just a different me that showed up to that race. And then as we know, you put it together on race day and you end up on the podium at a Spartan Race World Champs shortly after you are on the pro team and thus begins the career as we know him, Bracken Cracker, yep. Spartan Coach yeah, maybe some would say the pinnacle. Maybe it started and peaked right there. I would say you peaked in the final, whatever year when you they did the NBC series and you were up in contention for the top three. 14, 13, 2013, 14? I think you were better. 13, 14, 15 was a good yeah. streak. Yeah. All right. I'm not going to move on from you yet, but I'm going to summate, okay? Okay. I am just going to start rattling. Now, you have 140 races on here, and here's where they start to really stack up, Okay. Carolina's Beast, second. Midwest Super, first. Sacramento Beast, fourth. Chris Brown beat me. Hunter McIntyre beat me. Hobie Call beat me. (laughs) Texas Beast, fifth. IT Band. Carolina Sprint, first. Nevada Super, fourth. Indiana Sprint, first. Texas Sprint, third. I'm just going to keep rolling. Just bear with me. Texas Sprint, third. Midwest Super, first. Northwest Sprint, second. Hard Charge, first. Miller Park Sprint, second. Fenway second, Malibu third, Tampa first, Hawaii first, Miami first, Indiana first, Colorado second, I mean Pennsylvania second, Northwest fourth, Vermont Spartan World Champs. We only go another year and you were eighth at the next Spartan World Champs in Vermont. Yeah. 
After that, Chicago first, Chicago first, Ohio second, Dallas fourth, Mississippi first, Fenway first, SoCal third. It's like the list is just like I can't I'm just giving people the idea of the body of work here in like a year or two's time period. It's just Mm -hmm. one after the other with very few outliers not on the podium. What happened for that eighth place finish in Vermont in 2013 or 14? Well, I left that 2012 year having taken third behind Hobie and Cody. And I I was significantly beaten, but I wasn't out of this world for a three-hour race beaten. I think I was six minutes behind Hobie or something like that. Seven minutes, eight minutes, doesn't matter. It was significant, but it was hopeful. And so I looked at it and thought, I was very good on all the obstacles. I was very efficient everywhere. I just need to be faster. And so I took that year of base building and mountain prep, and I did a ton of 5K, 10K work this next year. A lot of 10K work with some 5K work and a lot of compromised running. And as you can see, I was fit. I was out racing a lot, and I also signed a pro team contract, and so travel was free. So suddenly I was racing a lot. I was loving it. I was getting podium bonuses. Life was great. They reimburse you for travel, or do you have like a card or a code, or how that worked? I don't remember how it worked back then, because we had three different systems. One is that we would, we had Egencia for a while, where you would just click, and it would be charged to Spartan. We had invoicing for a while. I forgot what the other one was. Uh, I thought at the end of each month, I just got like a $2,000 check to cover whatever travel I had that month. I, I don't remember which what it started as. And those... Those were the days where you left the venue with your check in hand. So you go take a first place, yeah. they hand you a five hundred dollar check, you go home and cash it that next day. Like that's those were the days where they hand writ you written you a check, right? On site. Yeah, and mobile deposit became a thing quickly, so you would deposit it one minute after the podium. It's a little better than waiting six to twelve months for. Yeah, best. Anyway, so I just worked on speed. I'd had this engine for the first time ever. It wasn't a great engine yet, but for me it was something I'd never felt before. And I neglected the two pieces that made me really successful in Killington that first year, which was long work and hill work. I did hill speed work Mm -hmm. with once a month, a ski hill workout where I was doing every weekend, a ski hill workout the year before. And I cramped and the the competition skyrocketed too. So I came in in better speed. I, I neglected the true important stuff. I didn't have a full vision a good grasp, a holistic approach to training it. I did the classic, I'm missing this one thing, let's do all of that one thing and forget about the things that got me to the point where I was missing one thing. Eighth is still a great result. I mean, my best is 11th at a world champ and I'm damn proud of it, so. Well, that's, I don't know if that's the same year, is it? What? What year are you looking at for 2000, for for eighth place? Let me pull it up, 2014. Two years later. No. 2000 what? 14. Yeah, so 13 I was when I DNF'd. I okay. quit. Cramped out. Eighth place, that was a that was a fairly good result in a monster field, and I still wasn't prepared for the grindiness of the mountain. I was still running all my climbs and smooth road descents. I wasn't doing nasty. That time was like 30, the whole dang race, and I know courses are different. You ran 259.44 to take third place in Vermont. And you ran 259.0. Oh, you ran within the same minute Yeah. on that course, which is, again, probably a different course, but you ran just wild how close those two yeah. were. I just saw this. I want to ask you a sidebar question. On your first race there in um, 
in Spartan Ultra Beast. So basically you finished third in the Beast and then kept going through for the Ultra Beast. Mm-hmm. Can you guess your average pace per mile for the Ultra Beast? I mean, probably like 17 minutes, maybe slower. Bracken Crocker for the Ultra Beast, his average pace per mile was 35.01 per mile. <laughs> 35 minute miles. 35. What, what was it for the day? For the for the suit for the championship beast was thirteen forty three pace, which is very okay, respectful. Thirty five. You ran thirty five oh one pace was the average for that, which is just speaks to how brutal that course is. If you click on that two thousand and fourteen, that eighth place, mm-hmm. can you see who beat me? Let's take a look. I'm going back up. You have so many races to frickin' filter through. It's annoying. John was first. Ryan was second. John Albin won in 3.23, so he beat you by 36 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Uh, Atkins was a minute behind in thir- 3 hours 24. Or wait, 3.24. Oh, you were 3.59. You were an hour longer that year, so that must have been mm-hmm. a brutal year. Um, it was a double sandbag carry. Mm-hmm. It was it's like 17.9 miles or something wild. Cody Moat was 3.30 in third. John Yatskow in fourth. Hunter McIntyre in fifth. Isaiah Vidal in sixth. Chad Trammell in seventh. And then Bracken Crocker in eighth. And then right behind you is Glenn Race, James Appleton, and Matt Novakovich, and Max King. Those were the next. And Peter Zisco. Wow, he's been around a while. Mm-hmm. So those were the guys right behind you. So if you take that list ahead of me. And we run that same field in 2012. There's only one or two people I would have beat. Mm. Brian Gowiski ran that race, took 24th. Isaiah and Chad are the only two I would have had a chance of beating that day. Mm. So even though I went third to eighth, I really went sixth to eighth or seventh to eighth. It was a relatively equivalent performance. The depth of sport just skyrocketed. Mike, I'm looking at these results. This is amazing to look at. Claude Gavu was not far behind you (laughs) winning the women's race. Um, we have Miguel Medina, Corinna Coffin, Brian Gawiski, Ben Greenfield, uh, Lindsey Webster's first rate, Matt Kempson, Alec Blennis, Jesse Bruce, um, Angel Quintero took 36th. Um, all these names, Dave Magida, 41st, almost mm-hmm. an hour behind you. Just like this goes back, man. This is a time capsule. This was probably the most brutal course I've ever ran, both in terrain and design. It was really bad. The, the The double sandbag carry took upwards of 10 minutes, some people 15 or 20. Uh, mm-hmm. But the last mile had something like, I don't, somewhere between 17 and 20 obstacles in the last mile. Mm-hmm. And everyone was cramping by then. And if you failed something or and that you didn't stop cramping. So I took eighth, but I think I started the last mile in 13th. Mm-hmm. I passed Matt Novakovich and Max King while they were cramping. I passed Glenn while he was cramping and doing burpees. At that point, no one was racing. You weren't even excited to pass someone. You were apologizing like, hey, sorry, man, my my cramp let up for a second. You didn't feel good about it. The race was John and Ryan were racing. Next two places were kind of uh, – Cody and Yatsko were still yeah. racing. But after that, it was just survival. It was the most brutal, like barbaric race I've ever been a part of. It's fun to look back on that. So anyways, I just wanted to point out that – like I get some credit sometimes for being on a world podium, but that world podium was worth at best an eighth to tenth in any other year. Mm. Well, can't control who shows up, so you can't. It counts. But I, I think it's worth saying. So we get to your OCR years, Kirk. You had a, a stretch of racing here. 
on back-to-back, this is weird, this is the same day. You just have the same result, one second apart. You took third and fourth place in the Battlefrog. (laughs) One says Battlefrog Greater Twin Cities. One says Battlefrog Minneapolis. One says one hour, 2536. The other says 12535. And one was third place, one was fourth. They're both on May 21st, 2016. Yep. That was my first official OCR that I trained for and planned to go and race. I was going to the Ninja, Big began going to the Ninja Gym in February. I was mm-hmm. run training, not high volume. I was still pretty fragile, but that was my first OCR race, um, about an hour outside. The Were season. you third or fourth? Well, both, because one of the people who beat me, Lero Rugland, was 40, and they separated the Masters from the uh, – they didn't let him take third. He They automatically put you on a Masters podium, so it bumped ah, me onto the regular podium. So you were fourth and then third. I have a picture of me on there. I'm, I'm up on that uh, I'm up on that podium with uh, Mikhail Girillo and Jordan Buscemi, and I look like a bodybuilder. I'm still like in my like I'm still trying to like do split bodybuilding routines, and I'm running like 20, 30 miles a week, and I look like I don't belong there. Like it just don't even look. My body has morphed quite a bit when I've given up the aesthetics piece of my training, but um, it's just it's good to look back. And those guys were so nice and so great. I remember the one thing I remember is Mick and Mike Ferguson took off. Mike Ferguson, uh, I beat only because I look up and they got me by about 20 seconds. And then behind me, like another 30 seconds to a minute is, uh, is Leo Ruglin and Jordan Buscemi. Kind of in no man's land, closer to Mick and Mike. And those rigs in Battlefrog were legit. I've been going to the Ninja Gym. I look up and Mike is like crucified himself on the rig. He, you know how you're supposed to stay in your lane? Well, Mike was new enough where he grabbed things in two lanes. So he's spread out like he's hanging from a cross on these rings that are like six feet apart. And he's just hanging and he's swinging his legs in no man's land looking like he literally, it's like a crucified position. And he is just swinging and trying to figure it out. And he looked so silly and I thought it was so great. And he was just, he was stuck and he sat there and fought it and fought it and burnt his grip out. And he got stuck there for like 10 minutes. Well, I got on there, hopped through it right away. I was like, oh, I'm pretty good at obstacles. Ninja gym paid off. And then uh, I was in second place until the uh, double wreck bag where I think I just talked about that on a recent episode. I uh, didn't know how to Mm -hmm. do that. So I got passed by uh, Learl and Jordan and then ended up staying in that position. But that was my first OCR. Yep. And it was a great. I have a question. Yeah. You did a Warrior Dash in July of 2011. Mm-hmm. This is your next OCR, according to this, which is May 2016. Yep. But you said you had gotten into, this is my first year of training for OCR. You did Ninja Gym. Why? What? That was just literally from watching it on TV that day, and you said, I'm going after it after watching it on Christmas? Yep. In fact... I like that. No, I got... I had I told you about this muscle milk thing, and then I had a relationship with them for a little while because I had some sort of social media presence. And then Cliff Bar reached out to me, and I had a sponsorship from Cliff Bar, their builder bar in particular. And in 2015, that was the year I was sponsored. But I was coming off a of Bachelor in Paradise. They reached out to me for both, like, oh, you're an athlete and you have some following. Let's just, you know, will you post some stuff? And this is in the early days of like social media sponsorship. And so I said, yeah, and I ate their bars. In fact, I loved them at the time. And so they said, hey, we're putting together a, our, our athlete team. We'd like to fly you out for the, something called the Spartan Race World Championships in Lake Tahoe in 2015. 
And I just looked it up online. I was like, nope. And didn't even look at it. Didn't even think about it. Didn't even, I was like, not interested. And then five months later, it's on TV. And I'm like, this is what I said no to. I am an idiot. And so it was slap. It took twice. It had to, I had to, it had to slap me in the face twice before I figured out. I was like, oh my God, this is interesting. I didn't know that builder bar thing. Which were delicious, by the way. They were. I forgot about that part of it actually because it was such a non-thought for me that I was like, "Nope." And then, uh, and then, anyways, yes, I saw Robert Killian kick that bell on TV at Christmas at my grandma's. I've said that story a number of times, and uh, then right away was all in. Went to the started going to the Ninja Gym in January uh, wow. to figure it out. Yep, and started running more. Yep. So that's that. I we had builder bars, not nearly as good as your year long stash but macaulay and i each won uh men's health ultimate athlete games and got a massive amount in person of builder bars mm. and i think some sort of metrics remember met rx mm-hmm. metrics yeah chugs oh, yeah. and stuff and we had we had an entire uh cabinet full of them we would just go each day pull it out and we ate for probably half a year of builder bars they were so good yeah, they were. I loved them. I had them every day. All right, so you did Battle Frog. A month later, you did the Minnesota Spartan Sprint, which you talked about on a recent episode. Then you went two months, three months later. Got DQ'd from that race. Had a baby. Yeah, DQ'd my first race. Got to have a good DQ early in your life. I thought it was. I thought it was catastrophic at the time. I thought it was just like now. I realize like they hand those things out like candy, but <laughs> yes, they do. But I, I got DQ'd. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a mark of shame. It's a uh, it's a mark of you're, all right. You're one of us now. Yeah, you've been DQ'd from an OCR race. I remember finishing and we we're talking, and I and I lost to Leo Ruglin at Battlefrog a month earlier, and I beat him by like three four minutes. I I really ran well. I stayed attached to Robert Killian for the first half, and ran with Gwiski and Mike Ferguson, and just fell off at the end and took fourth. Um, and we got done, and we're all talking, and like, yeah, clean race today, no burpees. And everybody's like, yeah, and everybody ran clean in that whole group. Um, like, clean race, no burpees for your first Spartan, Kirk? I'm like, no burpees. And he, and then Leo was like, ha, well, other than the five, you know. And I was like, what do you mean, other than the five? He's like, you know, the Atlas Stone, you five burpees. I was like, what Atlas Stone? <laughs> what, what? <laughs> I just blew right by it is what happened. And so I did no burpees and I got DQ'd. I just, did, I just didn't partake in the obstacle. I don't recall how or why. I just ran right by it like it didn't exist. Well, a little while after that, you went and did Red Deer back-to-back. You just told that story as well. But what I want to get to— my biggest learning year, yeah. So you were in these in these OCR competitions. Now that you're back, fit, healthy-ish, working out towards OCR, you were 6th, 3rd, 4th, 5th. You did a trail race where you took 1st out of 104. You did 6th. Fifth, and then you went to your first world championship <laughs> in Lake Tahoe in 2016. And uh, do you know what place you were overall? Yeah, I was uh, 58th place, I believe. You were, but when you add in the females field, do you know what place you were overall? 63rd, maybe. 66th. 66th. Eight of them got gotcha. you. <laughs> you wouldn't have made the female, the extended podium, unfortunately. Ugh. So 66th. Brushed over it, but I want to hear your first world championship experience because there's nothing like it from aura to course to competition to finish line feels. You can't replicate that first one. Worst day of my life. Because I would look at this, and if I was looking at your 
I would look back and be like, he's a good trail runner. This guy can't do OCR. He sucks. <laughs> and then I'd move on. I, I would, I'd discount you. Oh my God. I never raced at altitude before. I had no clue what I was getting into. I ran, I did one ski hill workout two weeks before I never touched a hill. Um, and then I went and raced a mountain race at elevation and, uh, it was horrible. I felt awful from five minutes in until what did that take me? Three hours and one minute or something? No, three uh, three seventeen. You might have blacked out for a bit at three oh one. I probably did. Oh, it was so terrible. Honestly, I wanted to quit eight thousand times. I was five minutes in, going up that first climb, thinking like this is the. I feel horrible. This is the worst I've ever felt in my entire life in a race, hands down. And everybody's moving away from me. I failed three obstacles. I missed my spear. I could not get the Herc hoist up. Imagine that because I was so shot and I failed the rig at the end. I was new, Bracken. I sucked and it sucked and I hated it. But after the dust settled and I got done, I was so shattered. I did burpees at the end next to Rose Wetzel. I remember I got on the stream because she had caught me from starting 15 minutes later. Um... Oh, it was so bad. It was so bad. I hated it, but I knew that wasn't me. I knew that I could figure this out. And after that dust settled and I got done with my pity party, and by the time I got home, I was like, this is this is going to change. And I, I think I bought an incline trainer that next month. I went right, and I'm like, I'm going to fix this. Bought an incline trainer, got to work. But that was very humbling. I could not believe I lost by like 50 minutes to the winner. I don't know how far behind Cody Mode I was or uh, who won that year, Hobie. But it was astounding. And I remember this. I remember this story. And I said it once, I think. I think I asked Hobie in our first interview. I got done with that. And there's people everywhere. It's such an overwhelming experience for the first time. It's really, it was great in hindsight. I was just disappointed that I realized how much I sucked. And, I was in the hotel and this was the leaderboard day. So you were coaching me, but I didn't hop on to like August with you guys. Anyways, I saw one of the other coaches, Zach down talking, hmm. uh, to a guy who looked like, like the janitor, to be honest. And it turns out it was Hobie call, but I go up and this guy, this very unassuming guy is sitting there on the couch and Zach's talking. So I feel like, Hey, I'm going to go talk to Zach and figure this other slump like <clears throat> ran open or something. And so right away, I, I go for my chance to brag. And I say, oh, how did, did you race today, I asked him. And he goes, yeah, I raced today. And he didn't say anything else. And I said, how'd it go for you? And how'd it go? Just waiting to tell him I took 58th for the men, like in the elite side. And he goes, oh, I won. I won today. Real cat, like not even a thought. And I said, oh, what race did you, did you run? <laughs> he goes, the elite. I'm the Spartan world champ. <laughs> and I felt so stupid, so stupid. And I still thought the dude was like lying to me. Turns out it was Hobie Call, and I and and I didn't even end up telling him where I finished. <laughs> Here I was looking for my end to brag to like some open athlete. It was so embarrassing. He's the most unassuming man in his day clothes. He does the Clark Kent thing where he walks around looking one way and he steps to the start line. He pops his warm-ups off and you're like, oh, this guy might be an issue today. I had to ask him which race he won. You won, huh? Which one? <laughs> I 
the world championship. Like the, the main race, yeah. For the third time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so dumb. <laughs> Just my third title here, Kirk. Oh, he didn't say that, but anyways, there we go. That's so, That's so good. Yeah. Was Zach just like, oh, come on, Kirk. Come I on. don't even know, to be honest. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. You made up for it because 28 short days later, you won the 5K and the 10K on the same day at the Great Pumpkin Chase in Lake <laughs> Elmo, Minnesota. Yeah, I went for some redemption. Thank you for that. You got back on the horse. Got after it. I doubled up. I won the double up, the great double up, they call it. The great double up. Now, there's a lot more to talk about, but I want to actually stay on you for a second because you've got some highs and lows throughout this point. You, And we can touch on some of them later if you want, but I want to hear your next Tahoe because your next one, what'd you take overall? 21st. And 21st overall. No women beat you this time. Yeah, beat all the ladies. So first race, worst ever. What was this 21st place like? Felt the exact same. I hated every minute of it. I wanted to step off course every single minute of it. It was horrible. I hated that one too. But, I mean, I felt like the worst I've felt all year again. I got halfway up the first climb and thought about stepping off. It was miserable. It was altitude. It was like, where did I go? But what I did is my worst self was still 21st. I could grind up that mountain. I could... I could make it work. In fact, that race hurt as much or more. It, the, those first two are the, mo- the most unenjoyable races I've ever had in OCR to date still. In fact, that's why the next time I raced, I went out and acclimated. I went out two weeks early, night and day difference. Like a different human was out there racing that course. So that 21st, I was very proud of because I took care of business. I didn't fail anything. I stuck in it mentally when I went, I think I was back as far as 39th, 35th, and then grinded. Um to come back to take 21st. If you look at my progression, um, mm-hmm. very proud of that one. And you had some studs. I want to say it was like Mick, uh, Brian, Mike were all around you in the twenties, right? Yep. Yeah. I was, I was getting there now at this point I was racing. Ian Hosick was right there in front of me. I think Kempson, like we were, I was in the mix at that point. And that yeah. was coming off a 10th place finish at the North American champs, uh, in West Virginia, which was a breakout race for me. Um, felt great there, but I just, it was the altitude in hindsight. I get how my body reacts to altitude in both of those races. What I did is I went out like it wasn't at altitude and within 10 minutes of the race, I was suffering so bad. Now I can, I can plan a little better, but I didn't still, mm-hmm. I needed to learn it again there. Um, cause that was my second altitude race. Well, you know what wasn't different hmm. four weeks later, first place. First place, 5K, 10K, the great pumpkin chase. <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the same. Listen, I like that great pumpkin chase. They give you a pumpkin pie if you win. And I just oh, yeah, really – yeah, that's the best. Yep. So that was, that was... Again, a lot of great results here that I'm going to have to gloss over because now you're, you're top 10 in everything you're doing. A lot of thirds, fourths, fifths, sevenths, eighths. But then we get back to Lake Tahoe. And those are a national series. Then I pursue the national series. So those are all national series races. I think I was fourth, fifth, sixth, fifth. I was like really, I was in. Yeah, and there, and I don't want to brush over them, but you, these are quality depth of field now, and you're, you're up there in the mix every time. And then we get back to Lake Tahoe. So you were 66th, 21st, and now here you are 11th in 224. Mm-hmm. And I watched this one in person. And so I saw what it looked like, which was confident misery. And I want to hear what it felt like. Uh, It's the first time at a world champs I was able to access my fitness at altitude. 
Um, I think helped that I went two weeks early and, and had a camping trip beforehand. I, if there's an altitude race I really care about, I think it is vital for a sea lander to, or a sea level person to go do that. Um, and I just put in the work three hour long runs every other weekend or every weekend, every time I could go to the, the ski hill, I didn't do a single flat workout for like six weeks leading up. I just said Tahoe. I was doing the 60 minute uphill grind challenge at 30%, like max vert. I was doing all that stuff and I was just banking vert. I just, nothing mattered other than going up and down and showing up at that championship. And so, um, that's, that's what I did. And I, uh, I actually, I took eighth at West Virginia at the North American champs a, week, a month earlier, but I was flat, real flat. I was overtrained to be honest. So I just coasted for a month. I did all my uphill work, but I decreased volume. I acclimated and I showed up and my body felt good on race day. And I, I, it was a tough conditions. If you remember people cracked on that course, it was you, nothing came easy. It was bitter, cold, snowing, 20 some degrees on top of the mountain with 30 mile an hour winds. And I took care of business that day. I ran to my potential that day. I was two minutes behind Veerman, two minutes behind Johnny, two minutes behind Kempson. I almost, I was two minutes from cracking the top seven. I just didn't quite. Yeah. And so, uh, so I showed up, dude, took care of business and all that hard work, getting that incline trainer, consistently focusing on vert from being a flatlander. It just finally came around. It takes a while for that to come around. And I, and I allowed it to. And so that's my proudest rate to date race to date. And it's not even a top 10. I'm 11th place in a field. If you name the guys off in front of me, um, no surprise now, but there's no wiggle room in that field. There was no wiggle room. I was the best of the rest, honestly, is what it turned out to be that year. And that's an honorable spot to be because so, that means you took care of business. Everyone else had the opportunity to be the best mortal in the field, and you you took it. Yep. I'm staying on you here, Kirk, because you have applicable races here. Okay. Your next race, your very next Spartan race. I should take it back. There's one in between. You did a tune-up in Arizona, and you won it. So you were eighth in the world. Oh, sorry. You were 11th in the world, came out and won your next race, and then you start the national series in Jacksonville, and you take 11th. Yep. Take the same place. And then... That is the athletic progression right there, right? I build, I build, I go from 66th in the world to 21st. I'm the 11th best person in the world. I come out to the U.S. national series race and take the same position with no foreigners, and it's on flat ground now, not at altitude, same position. How did that hit? Bad. Oh, I can't even imagine. Real bad. I um, I got in the flu about three weeks earlier, and it took me out, out, and I didn't, I didn't, I thought I could come around in time, and of course I thought I would, but I, I didn't feel right for like two months, like until I started coming around, and I did start popping again, but then COVID hit, and uh, and then that was that, and so I'd never had my chance to go out and race again because I think I was, I was in prime shape to go run well again that fall or that season was planning to but mm-hmm. I, I had a tough draw there it just wasn't wasn't a good day for me it was one of those like i was empty from the gun flu turned into pneumonia pneumonia turned into two weeks antibiotics turned into show up and race and it was i didn't i don't think i mentioned any of that my like race excuse stuff but thought i could get through it just wasn't my day so yes it was humbling and i was really wanted to prove that i was not that person uh but then it we went dark you know when your next race was i think jacksonville the following year a year later same place that's a long time to wait to prove that result wasn't correct. I think I was seventh, which was happy because I was coming off injury there. It's wild, huh? Yeah. 
It really is. So let's, okay, that was good. That was fun to talk through. So I want to go through, and then we need to wrap this up looking at the clock. So I could continue this with you, Bracken. Fenway, first, Seattle, sixth. Seattle was a national series race, by the way. That was my first national series race. City Field, first. Monterey National Series, eighth. Lambeau Field, third. I ran that with you. Now, this is when you started dealing with injury, but you're still popping. Third at Fenway. First at the Abominable Snow Race. Darn right. Eighth and first at Florida. City Field first. Minnesota fourth. That was an off course. 18T third. Chicago fifth. Now we get into these. West Virginia 13th. Mm-hmm. Tahoe, you went and took 31st. Mm-hmm. Um, we get into the era, but you still have, even into 2019 through injury, third at City Field, third at National Parks, third at Chicago Super, third at AT&T. Like, Bracken Crocker hasn't gone as far away as you think boston fifth at&t again 30 like like you're in you're in it still you're just not to your winning standards right here's the kicker for me with you from 2019 on so all of 2020 2021 and we're almost done with 2022 granted covid was in this so let's call it in three full years you have four events on here in three years you have four races bracken on athletics and before you had 40 a year and you have four and three i know it that is where we have arrived bracken four races in three years yeah what do you make of that on the on athletics i mean it's uh the easy thing is to say i went surgery 2020 surgery 2021 surgery 2022 that's the easy way to look at it Two of them were knee surgeries. Uh, so from 2019 on, I had a torn meniscus. I tore that leading up to Killington. I believe that was 2019. So killing whatever race before Killington was, was the last time I raced with no torn meniscus. And AT&T Dallas, when I... Actually, I missed that one. Lambeau Field was the last... Was the first race I ran in this string where everything was starting to go wrong. And you were still like, basically, you should have been, you thought you should have been winning those stadium races. You were taking like third, third, third. Yep. Mm-hmm. But that's where it tipped. That's where the training got disjointed. I started losing the things I had built up. I started resetting back to where I was pre injury, but never to where I was prior. Like, I could get back to, I could soft reset. I couldn't hard reset. It was, it was, it was just a, this has been a very frustrating. I would say five years, but the last three are just outrageous because I was still racing. I had injuries in there, you know, going back to broken toe and pulled hamstring and Achilles issues and nonsense. I was still racing and making podiums. I just wasn't winning anymore. And then I stopped racing. Knee surgery, knee surgery, hernia surgery. And the hernia surgery shouldn't have mattered, but that was kind of combined with COVID. And since then, there's been nothing. So yeah, the I it, it can't help but feel sometimes that it's been a decade since I've raced or been super fit. And then you look back and say, yeah, I was, I still felt good in 2019, but it was building a house on toothpicks at that point where I can regain fitness, but there's nothing underneath it to. And so that's why that 13th at West Virginia, that was the best I could do. I couldn't Mm -hmm. race two hours. I could fake it for 30 or 40 minutes, but there's nothing underneath it to carry me through. And that's been the, that's been the kick to the nuts in this whole thing is that mm. that big work that started with that 26-week prep to Killington feels like 
was mostly lost to time. And it clearly isn't because I'm running workouts right now that will indicate that I have some fitness in my body. But what I don't have is two hours in the mountains and that will take a while to get back. Yep, it will, but that's okay. So that's what I make of it. It's it's too long with too little racing. I mean, this guy, folks, 140 documented races on Athlinks, let alone the ones that aren't on there, only four in three years compared to yep. only four of 140. And High Rocks isn't on there. Yeah, it is. High Rocks is on there? There's a High Rocks on there, yeah. Oh, geez, that's even worse. High Rocks Orlando is on there. Yeah, that's tough. It's tough to even hear. That's what I'm saying. And so you want to root for a guy, folks. We got to root for our for our hero, Bracken Croc. Although I'm currently out not running. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a whole nother story. But it's it's kind of, it, it's been a fun jog down memory lane. I know we started moving quick here towards the end, but we just got to wrap this thing up. But man, we've been, I mean, think of the beginnings and the humble beginnings. Like I can't help to think, but like we just kept showing up, man. And that's what you got to do right now, right? You just got to keep showing up eventually. Yeah. Eventually it comes back around, right? And you know this, but I'm just hoping people, this resonates with somebody that, I mean, look at our results in college at times. Look at look at a lot of our hiccups. Look at my Spartan Race World Championship progression from, what did you say, 63rd to 21st to 11th? 66th. 66th, sorry. You got 55 places off. And in field that only got better every year. Mm-hmm. Talk about guys that have done it themselves, like learning from our own mistakes. It's just makes me proud for us, to be honest. And it makes me proud for hopefully you coming back, coming back here is what I think. Whether you take 20th in your first race back or you win it. And I think it could, you could win it or you could take fifth. I don't know. But um, it just makes me proud to have you back out on course too. Just thinking like, God, look at the, look at the results, man. Look at where, what, what you've been through, what we've been through. It's just, it's just yeah. good to remind ourselves. Well, it's a good reminder that time is, is very relative. I feel like I'm in the midst of a decade of nonsense. And you look back through that and you realize it's three years and three years from now, I'm going to be 38. I'm going to be younger than you in three years. Like I can undo everything that's been done 100%. and still come out still in it. So that, that's exciting. And I think my own fitness journey, you look at my, even my first, my first and probably fifth to last college cross country races are, were run at 551 pace. Yeah. Right around yeah, 550. Yeah. And this week where I'm struggling with fitness and slowly trying to build, and I can only run three to four times a week because of my nonsense my body's doing to me. I did a four mile tempo at 546 and was cutting down and could have easily gone much faster. So just by putting in 10 years of work, your race pace becomes your workout pace. Yes, there's interest, but the money in the bank, yes, some of it gets slowly withdrawn to pay the the daily and monthly bills, but there's still money in that bank that you have access to. And you've earned that through all the years. And I would have thrashed myself and I did to try to get faster that season and the season after. But the power to look back and be like, you know, if I just casually trained for three more years, I would have been way faster. And was and am now. So it's it's wild what time can do for you. There is no rush on fitness. Unless you're 39. Like you're still I getting am. faster. No, I'm just kidding. But there is a rush on fitness coming. Yeah. <laughs> At some point. I enjoyed that. I don't know if the listeners enjoyed that, but that was actually fun for me. Um, so thanks for the idea, Bracken. Uh, guys, we're giving away three t-shirts. All you got to do is go write a rating and a review for us. By the end of next week, we're going to draw three names. You're going to get a free t-shirt. Just write us anything that you feel is true. 
one to five stars. We don't care. Non-discriminatory. You will be entered. And uh, we would really, really appreciate uh, some reviews because they've been few and far between as of late. So um, thank you in advance. I look forward to reading those. Thanks for listening. See you soon. That's a wrap. Thank you.